Hello and welcome to Curious City. My name is Letty and I'm one of the co-founders of Curious Arts. This is a podcast all about encouraging people to get curious about what's going on creatively across the city. Um, I will be talking to a collection of individuals and organisations and companies that are making an impact and it's all about trying to encourage you to get off the sofa and get out into the world. Let's have a listen to who we're talking to today. Hello everyone, I'm delighted to say that I am in the studio today with multi-award winning author Helen Mort, um, who has been described by Carol Ann Duffy as one of the brightest stars in the sparkling new constellation of British poets. But not only is she a poet, she writes short stories, novels, drama, creative non-fiction. She's a mum, a stepmum, a senior lecturer at Manchester Met, a freelance mentor and facilitator. She also climbs, trail runs, and loves real ale. So, Helen, my first question is, do you ever go to sleep? <laughs> um, actually, at the moment, not very much because I've got a small child and Alfie. sleep is very interrupted. But I've discovered that the um, the good thing about broken sleep is that you have amazing incredibly vivid dreams oh some of the strangest dreams that I've ever had with, with broken sleep um and so I keep meaning to keep a dream journal because oh, I keep yeah. thinking that there could be something productive to write about in there I was gonna say um, do you do you ever write about dreams do I they inspire done, in the past I have a poem um called other people's dreams which is about the idea that um probably quite a strange idea that Every time somebody else, every time you sort of crop up in someone else's dream, um, it's like a parallel life that, oh, that sort of goes on without you. And I always think that now, if I if I have a dream about one of my friends or like that they they've got a parallel life. In it, my it's really dream weird, world. isn't it, with with dreams when suddenly you dream about someone you haven't thought of mm -hmm. or even realised you remembered. You mm -hmm. know, it's the brain's amazing, isn't it, in that respect. And also working out how things from the day have, have, have fed into what it, it, it is. It's like the business of writing poems because you're constantly um, kind of carrying things around with you and blending them together and then they come out in a interesting image or a, I kind of I think it's the same um, when Process. you dream it's it's processing things yeah. isn't it the yeah. brain kind of filtering by itself overnight yeah it's yeah, quite exciting yeah, yeah. Really, isn't it? except that most of mine are just anxiety dreams anyway <laughs> so it's not that yeah. it's not as creative as I'm making it sound no most more stressful time. yes <laughs> um so of all the genres would you say that um I mean you're you're most often associated with with poetry mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um but you, you've recently written, well, not well, 2019, was mm -hmm. it? Your novel. Yeah. It's a critical acclaim. Um, but do you, are you comfortable with being most closely associated with poetry? Is that where you, is that your sort of safety zone, would you say? I think it is. Um, I think it's always been my first love. It's the thing that I started doing when I was really small. Um, I, so, so that was my, apart from writing stories at school, like everybody yeah. does, do they still now? I don't know. Maybe I not. Hope but so. <laughs> I really hope. But that so. was the art form that I gravitated to first, and I think it'll always be when I have something that I want to say that feels really urgent or really um, kind of yeah, re really difficult to articulate. I suppose it's always poetry that that I turn to. Yeah. But in fact, I never particularly expected that I'd write in I'd, that I'd publish in any other form. It was still a bit of a surprise to me that I've managed to write a novel. And but how did how did that happen then? Um, I had this 
idea. <laughs> I, I'd, I'd wanted to write something about female rock climbers for a long time, um, partly inspired by a, a great novel by the sci-fi um, writer M. John Harrison. He's okay. not just a sci-fi writer, he, he, he's wonderful in all genres, uh, about climbers, this really surreal, brilliant book, brilliant novel. And I wanted to write something that sort of was inspired by that or paid homage to that. And then other things started creeping in and I realised that I was writing about policing in Sheffield and the aftermath of the Hillsborough disaster. And before I knew it, I was just aware that the canvas was a bit too big for a poem, the narrative sort of canvas, and that, that, that poems, even a sequence of poems, probably wasn't the right form. And then um, my characters started talking to you. Yeah, authors talk about this a lot. I don't know if you have have this. Your characters sort of... They sort of tap on your shoulder and say, excuse me. Yeah. Um, Is it my turn yet? Absolutely. And you can't, then you you can't help but listen to them, can you? And then then the story gathers its own momentum. And so Um, how long did it, I mean, you you talk about... um, impossible poems mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and the satisfaction of, of finishing an impossible mm-hmm. poem like how does the process of writing prose uh, differ from from writing poetry did you still have those same kind of impossible moments with writing the, the novel or was it a very different thing for you I think I just have so much admiration for novelists and <laughs> prose writers in in general because I found that I think with poetry, you can rely on those moments of um, of convergence or inspiration when when you're running for the bus and these ideas you've been carrying around with you for ages crystallise and then you scribble something on the back of the bus receipt and, um, and then you take that away and develop it. So I've always found that poetry was something that I could fit into my life no matter what else was going on, sort okay. of sporadically. But... With a novel, it's not really like that, is it? You have to put in a shift and you have to... If I left it for a long time, it was like having to get to know all the characters yeah, again. There has to be that sort of continuity, I suppose, with the writing of a novel and and constantly. You can't just kind of put it down like maybe you could a poem and then come back to it yeah. a few months later. Possibly. Definitely. You, you have to, at least with the first drafts, you've got to have a bit of momentum and yeah. a bit of... And just, yeah, just the sheer volume of words. I mean poems use a lot of white space don't they yeah. <laughs> it's great there's yeah. a lot of blank space around them you, you're working with silence as well as with sound yeah. um and in a novel that definitely wasn't the case I also really struggled with dialogue I think oh, really? writing dialogue is not something that perhaps that's not something that comes naturally to a poet because you're you're not often using dialogue in your poems it's sort of more dramatized I guess um so I did find that really tough as well did you kind of seek advice or did you read other novelists to think like I wonder how how do they do it or did you was there something that you did to try and help yourself through that um the best uh, breakthrough that i had was um it's often the way isn't it this, this is why it's so nice being part of a community of writers because someone will say something to you that changes your yeah. outlook and um, so i'd sent some early drafts to my friend joe joe hakim who lives okay. in hull and he's a fantastic novelist yeah. he just recently published a book called The Community, which I really recommend. Um, And he, so he was reading some of my novel at the same time as he was working on his. And I'll always remember him saying to me, um, don't forget that when characters say something, they're usually doing something at the same time. 
Um, they're not just speaking, they're, they're living. Um, and, and, you know, they're, they're fiddling with the glass or they're... Um, they're not talking a strand of hair on, on what they're... Of, on the art of... and the act of speaking. Yeah, That's it's so not happening in a vacuum. And when he said that, I found that... Just that practical bit of advice... It didn't just help me on that level in that I went back and had my characters doing more things while they were speaking, but it just made me, I suppose it made me imagine the, the dialogue in a more realistic way. So yeah. thanks, Joe. Yes, tick. <laughs> we'll all buy the book now. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, oh, yes. So did you, when you were writing the book, did you carry on writing poetry alongside it? Yeah, I think my novel was sort of... Um, I think you get this this a lot that you're working on different things but they're sort of talking to each other as well yeah. so for instance um, when I started it I'd just been finishing off um, a book of poems um, that were about the history of women's mountaineering and sort of um, about women um, in sport more, more generally and um, so I carried on with that and I think that fed into part yeah. of the novel as well. They sort of have a symbiotic relationship on this. Yeah, I tend to find that poems are always there um, in the background. Although I have had spells of feeling like I couldn't write poetry and like we all do, I guess, worrying that it had gone away and that it was never going to come back and that the muse had sneaked S- off snuck in off. the night. Yeah. yeah, always terrifying. It is, absolutely. And I suppose part of the reason perhaps why your work whatever the genre communicates with with each other is this taking inspiration which I think you you said you put it beautifully obviously Mm -hmm. um but the engine behind nearly all my work is gritstone and more suburbs in Edgeland Mm -hmm. what is it about the peaks and Derbyshire and that kind of landscape what do you think it, can you analyse why that inspires you or what what it is about it that that makes you write about it or set your work there? I was afraid that you might ask me that. I'm so sorry. I, I feel like um, I'm, I've spent a lifetime trying to work that out. But I sort of think that if I ever did work it out, maybe I'd stop writing about it. Um, right, it's going to break the spell. Yeah, there's some kind of... It, it, it's, it gives me a feeling. I get a feeling, even when I'm just driving over to Sheffield from Stanage Burbage on a sort of twilight evening. That, oh, there's nothing better, Yeah, it? you just it, you you feel, feel it. it in your body. Um, and I guess for me, because I grew up not far from here, I was always going out to the peaks with my dad and um it's got that formative sort of you know some people have I know some people have a thing about the sea they want to live near the sea they find it inspiring I I, I'm not fussed about the sea (laughs) I'm not I'm not I'm not really fussed about any features of landscape except the ones that you find around here and the closest I can come to putting my finger on what it does is just that I, I always find that those long kind of gritstone edges are really great for getting a sense of perspective on your life, quite literally, because you're yeah. up and you're sort of looking down. You can see Sheffield, or you can see Manchester, and um, kind of no, it place it grounds you almost, but in geographically as well as sort of being there yeah. with the elements. They just always feel like good thinking spaces, yeah. and so I've got that thing of needing to 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 go out onto an edge if I want to think. So for whatever reason, that's become my sort of imaginative landscape. Sometimes think, uh, sometimes I think I should try writing about somewhere else, but then I think it's endlessly fascinating and people come here throughout the year because of that. And um, 
I can never sort of puzzle it out. Yeah. Brinkliff Edge is a particular favourite. Yeah. Have you yeah. written, I mean, have you written about that, that place which you describe, again, beautifully? It feels like a tunnel of rusty light in the autumn. Yeah. Um, is there a specific poem about that? Um, that I secret part of Sheffield? I have a poem about it, although I wrote about running through those woods um, with a head torch early in the morning. And I know you're a runner too, so you get that, you know, that feeling oh, of um, yeah. complete solitude that you can get if you go out early in the morning or late at night when you can kid yourself that there's nobody else around yeah and I, I get that especially if I run there um so I haven't written that many poems about it but I wrote um in my novel I had these little bits where places um different places in the city and in the Peak District sort of talked and told the story a bit and there is one in the voice of Brinkliff Edge, yeah. Right. Because my, my partner read it and said, oh, I think you're describing my garden there. <laughs> he liked the idea that his the, the garden in our house had, had found its way into the book. And I said I wasn't actually thinking no, of our no, garden at wrong. all. It was a different uh, uh. one. <laughs> but yeah. Um, one of the things I, I ask people to do is, is talk talk us through a kind of day, a day mm. in the life of. And... Um, you know, yours, because you're, you're a stepmom and a mum, so there's lots of uh, working around the mum, mum duties. Um, mm-hmm. But also, it struck me as being incredibly wholesome. <laughs> um, so it's, you know, obviously breakfasts and games and books and um, nursery and different working once that's happened. Um, and then park, tea time, bar time, bed. Was, were you always so good <laughs> i've probably made that sound a lot but like <laughs> oh no you do mention the, possibly having some wine at the end there's of, some wine uh, always yeah yeah <laughs> like, oh good, or good. Some, well not always but it's and some some tantrums and some screaming and oh yeah some, yeah um i yeah i think you do that don't you when you, you try and impose an order onto your life by thinking about it like that um and i guess actually no day's ever the same no. and there's always people coming and going our house is quite sort of active and busy there's often teenagers there and there's there's lots of friends dropping in and and I'm actually quite a um uh uh, what's the word introverted person um I can I can go out and talk to people but then I'm very tired and I need time to recover so I'm not great at being in a house that's busy right so um I uh do you think that's why you love spending time outdoors and, and so. that kind yeah, of solitude yeah. it brings? And obviously with a young child, you can't do that. As, well, you can, but you feel a lot more uh, housebound a lot of yeah. the time. Um, so I I put all my savings into building a, a, a shed in the garden where I could go and I could write. And that's become the place that I, the sanctuary. That I go. Um, even when there's no one in the house, it's, it's, oh, it's really? like going to work. It's my... I think, that, yeah, probably a good psychological thing to have that that place that is specifically for your work would you say what what impact has motherhood had on your process or or your work if if any um well for ages it just meant I wasn't writing anything at all and I was worried that it would never come back again and that I'd changed forever because it's such an emotional upheaval as well and you do feel like a different person um and I also thought I'd probably never write about it because there's been so many amazing collections of poems and albums and novels about motherhood recently. I just thought I've got nothing to add to that. I, I don't have, and yet it has crept in. And, and yet, yeah, yeah, because you're you're currently re- working on a non-fiction book about 
motherhood and mountains yeah yeah it's it's ended up it's been surprising and it's given me um this probably sounds a bit grandiose but it's really restored my faith in the idea that if you are an artist of any kind um you will turn whatever's happening in your life into art um going back to what you were asking before about the sort of daily routine thing and um i'm trying to be good and sort of follow a schedule I found it really inspiring recently reading this book called, I think it's called Daily Rituals. And it's... Um, I've read that. Is, it, you, is yeah. it to do with uh, all the different ways that writers approach their work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, you've got yeah. um, oh, uh, Patricia Highsmith, mm-hmm. who just lies on her bed and, and has a quarter bottle of vodka and loads yeah. of donuts. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then in contrast with Stephen King, who has to write... Uh, oh, no, it, George Saunders, who writes for eight hours a day, mm-hmm. every day, no matter what. And that it is reassuring, isn't it, that everyone has their own thing? Yeah, yeah, and that whatever you do, it's probably okay. Yeah. Um, the, 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 the one that I read, I think it may be the sequel, even to that, this one's only women, and a lot of them were, were parents. Okay. Um, and, and I found that encouraging, because you had everything from, from women who um, barely saw their children after they were born, because they they needed to devote all this time to their art to to women who were ba- basically at home doing all the housework looking after the kids all the time and then fitting things in and as you say it just goes to show that everything comes out all right in the end yeah. and everyone finds their own pattern and and the worst thing you can do i think is just constantly compare yourself to other people and 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 worry about what you're doing because what works for one person just won't work for anyone else though in answer to your sort of initial question about the thing about being good I think I do have that um I'm an only child and so like I think I grew up with a sense of having to do the right thing and be and always get my homework done and I I was really really boring at school and really (laughs) geeky and I think I've still got that element of um well, I mean, wanting it's, it's to do everything served in. you very well. Try, trying to do it all right. Yeah, exactly. Which can be bad if you give yourself too much of a hard time. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but you, you had success. Really, quite. You, you know, it's a career-defining moment for you mm-hmm. when you won the Foil Young Poets of the Year award when you were a teenager. Yeah. What was that like? Oh, it was amazing. It's such a great competition. It still runs now. Anyone, I think, between 11 and 18 can enter it. So if there's anybody listening who um, falls into that category and writes poems, I'd really encourage you to enter. Because I just sort of sent off this poem on a bit of a whim, really, um, not thinking it would come to anything. And What was it? What was the poem? Oh, it was really bad. <laughs> it, was, it was about a peach stone, um, about how it looks a bit like a brain. Um, I think it's lovely. It does look a bit like a brain. Well, but I think it was a little bit teenage-y, angsty, dark thoughts, sort of... um, It it, it was a bit heavy-handed. Right. But some kind person must have seen something in it, some kind of Potential, yeah. (laughs) And, um, yeah, it was just really kind of affirming for me because I just went... I went from... Small, small town Chesterfield and my school where I got teased for, for working hard and for reading books and stuff and I went to this went on this writing course for a week where I met wow. other people who thought like it was you. normal yeah. to want to read 
loads of poetry books and to, to and, Gosh, and so must have been such a relief yeah you just suddenly feel like you're not as weird as you thought you were yeah and now that I've been a poet for a while I realise no no, I, I am as weird as I thought I was <laughs> it's just that all poets are a little bit like that too but that's great <laughs> um, I think because there is you say it gave you a sense of, of validation and, and legitimacy almost mm-hmm. to kind of think yeah it's okay to be doing this and that I'm allowed to right or I'm good enough Mm. so I'm really interested in what you think about um, competitions in general because obviously they can be life-changing and Mm. amazing and and they can offer opportunity and showcase it but if you you know perhaps if you never win something Mm. like that I mean do you think that has an adverse effect or stops people it, it doesn't provide that sense of legitimacy that would keep them would keep them going. Yeah, and I, I do think rejection is just still one of the hardest things that you oh. have to deal with, isn't it? It's just, um, you know, in life, but especially in, in writing or in, in art, um, I, I've sort of, I think I've learned quite a lot from judging competitions that, okay. that might be helpful to, to, to people who are entering them and perhaps not feeling like they're having much success. Um, because being on the other side of it and and being the the judge has made me realize how incredibly subjective it is absolutely people always tell you that but i don't think you i didn't feel like i knew that until i did it and i i I was aware of the time pressure that i was under um the the very partial way that i was encountering and all judges do their best and they they give as much of themselves as they can to the, the process and to giving the the work a fair hearing but at the end of the day, it will always come down to lots of things converging, lots of chances, um, you know, what, what kind of mood they're in on that day, yeah. what they're interested in at the time, what what stands out, what order they read things in. There are a million and million so and one different factors. factors that can that can sort of get in the way. So I think the important thing is to be resilient and keep believing in what you do and keep trying until you find the places that do recognize it and maybe it's not competitions because there's always a, a zeitgeist or whatever isn't yeah, there's always something and you might be a genius who just happens to not might fit do in. a van gogh <laughs> exactly i'd only great... be realized afterwards yeah I, I always want to um uh, do a poetry workshop where a critical workshop where i take some um famous but unusual poems by respected authors along and um, treat them the way people treat poems in workshops and you know they'd be going well oh i'm not sure about the ending it's a bit ott if they if they yeah, thought what about a cutting idea. That. it you just it shows here. you do that genius poems can can be can break rules and that maybe if they got entered to a competition they wouldn't have been selected so yeah and one of you state one of the hardest things about what you do is is doing battle with with Mm, self-doubt and I think that's something that so many creatives across all genres can identify with and I know that I do Mm -hmm. so have you got any any what how do you deal with those moments and have you got any tips Um, I I wish I had some good ones um I think it's working progress for everyone isn't it um i i'm quite lucky i think i i (laughs) i think everybody has um what i'd call a sort of emotional metabolism like a physical metabolism um how they they process different things so for example um gosh what a lovely concept (laughs) it it might be complete nonsense but um i have quite a fast one so if something happens that upsets me 
I'll get really worked up and I'll spend about a day moping and feeling upset and angry and it consumes you critical and yeah. yeah just really and then the next day I'm fine and I go back out there and sort of carry on um so I think it's the I'm art quite of lucky rejection. in that way yeah, maybe got used to it but but if you if you don't if you have a slower sort of metabolism with things like that it might it might be really difficult to but I think you just have to um you have to be kind to yourself easier said than done mm. <laughs> and you have to obviously it gets more difficult doesn't it after you publish because you then whenever you sit down to write it's not you and the blank page anymore you've got this little editor on your shoulder going that's no good that's no good so I suppose I have learned to switch that off just for the initial writing process um, and tell myself that I've only sent the editor out of the room. I haven't killed them or anything. They can come back in later and be useful, but they're not going to be that useful now. I've got to... I don't need them now, so thanks, but out you go. And also, I think um, there's something really valuable in allowing yourself to be rubbish every now and then and and not being afraid of failed experiments. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm as guilty as anyone of doing the thing where, say, if you like a musician and then they make this album that's completely different and you go, what's this? No, I don't like that. Go back to what you used to do. But I recognise that they probably need to do that in order to change as an artist. Yeah, and grow and develop and all of those things. Yeah, so we've all got to let ourselves do that. Um, And it's it's a long game, isn't it? It's a long sort of process. Yeah. There's no rush. I think yeah. that's something that we should all remember. There's no rush. But the, the resilience, do you think that might be something that you have inherited from your beloved grandma? <laughs> My grand's great. Um, yeah, she's um, so she looked after me a lot when I was a, a baby after my mum went back to work. And so I've always been really close to her and my step-granddad as well, um, who's not with us anymore. But yeah, I just, I've never, I don't think I've ever met anyone um, quite as tough and um, good-humoured. That grit that you talk about, the landscape and and that that strength, I think possibly is she a personification of of that that peak district? I'm going off on a tangent here. Um, But yeah, the way that you talk about her is, is lovely. The sharpest, funniest, toughest person I know. <laughs> she really is. I mean, I think all the women, I think all the women in my family like that, have got such a lot of admiration for my mum and for, for my gran and for my great-grandma. I was really lucky because when I was little, um, we had... Um, it was me, my mum, and then next door there was my grandma and my great-grandma. So amazing. we had these, like, four generations of quite strong-willed women all living in the same you're gonna have to write that unless you've done it already i often regret that i didn't um this is this is it isn't it the writer in you goes back and thinks why wasn't i making notes when i was seven but yeah do any where does the writing come from is it are you a creative a creative bunch generally or is it are you a bit of an anomaly on that front um so my mum my my mum I'm really grateful to her for sort of, I suppose, gifting me that. My mum was a um, primary school teacher and she was especially like teaching English and reading and creative stuff. And she just spent so much time with me when I was little, reading, um, exposing me to different forms of literature and... 
she was tireless and amazing and now as a mum myself I'm just realizing how tiring that must have been and how much it must have taken out of her alongside everything else she was trying to do um so she gave me a lot of opportunities that that you can't take for granted I think yeah um and has always supported supported. me so I think a lot of it comes from her um my uncle's a writer on my dad's side um really great short story writer and poet um and and my dad um, also loves poetry and he used to so in introduce me to stuff. So, so I think I definitely come from a family of readers, um, okay. some writers as well, and, and storytellers, I guess, like a lot of us do. I think everyone's family has a really great storytelling tradition, if you can. Yeah. Uh, Mum and I have got this uh, philosophy that every single family has an incident. Mm. Like, um, we've got in our family the boot room incident. That, What's that no one really talks about <laughs> um it was a very bad time it was actually involved my brother and, and my uncle half uncle so they were sort of the same age but it was a, a ski trip and it, they went out and hit the tequila and then uh-huh. the next morning we all came down and they'd uh they had projectile vomited all oh, over the no. boot all over the boot room so we all had to go and get new boots so for obvious reasons we don't talk about that but <laughs> Every family has oh. a, an incident. Yeah. And it's that sort of story, that passing down of terrible, hopefully not terrible stories in everyone else's case, but. Um, the, and they get more exaggerated. Yes, like, absolutely. like I'm sure in the telling of that story, the amount of sick has got more oh, and more. Massive. Each, yeah. Yes, yeah, it's just waves. Anyway, let's move away from sick. <laughs> um, Canada. Yeah. What makes you happy? And one of the things you've said is Canada. Yeah. What's your relationship to Canada? Um, I haven't really got... I just really like it. Um, I went there first in maybe 2012. I went to Vancouver and I thought it was just one of the most amazing cities. Yeah. Have you ever been? Yes. Yeah, I haven't been to Vancouver. It's it's just... I think Canada's all, all like that, but, but Vancouver's just beautiful. Beautiful. Um, and then I developed a relationship with the writing centre, the art centre in Banff in the Rockies, the, the, the Banff um, Art Centre, which is an amazing, amazing institution and supports so much good work. And I went there to do um, a mountain and wilderness writing programme. Oh, Imagine right that. <laughs> yeah, if you, could, you couldn't have, have, have made a more perfect sort of course for me to do. And my second poetry collection came from the beginnings there and then I've been lucky enough to go back quite a lot since um as a judge or as a guest at the festival and so it's become a bit of a a, second home yeah and the mountains are it's it's just it has a a draw for me in the way that the peak district does yeah though if you ask me to choose I'd still always pick here I'm glad to hear it I'd spend a lifetime (laughs) exploring here good um I think I would too. It's just yeah. Anyway, um, I ask people to do some shout-outs to other creatives and organisations in the city. Um, and you've mentioned your very good friend Rachel Bauer, who set yeah. up First Matters. She is amazing. I always think um, if <laughs> yeah, if 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 you ask me to name just an impressive lovely person it would always be be Rachel because she manages to be so kind and so um generous and such a, a great 
friend, but also do all these inspiring things as well, um, like setting up Verse Matters. We worked on a book together called Verse Matters, um, which which um, published new work by various writers from Sheffield and, and outside. Um, and she's also an amazing academic and a very talented writer. And um, yeah, and she, she does all that and looks after three kids. And I just think, gosh, how do you do? I wish, <laughs> yeah, I, I wish I had uh, like even a little little amount of her energy and compassion. Um, but there's so much good stuff happening in Sheffield at the moment. Verse Matters obviously has is, is been wonderful, but there's the... Um, there's one, yeah, that I'm actually doing my first ever spoken word performance at Verse Matters oh, because wow. I've heard so many good things about what a supportive and amazing safe space it is to, oh. to have a bash at, at something. That's fantastic. When is that happening? Is it soon? It's happening it? on Thursday. Oh, wow. Yes. Oh, good luck. Thank you. <laughs> it is a really great place to, to... And I think, yeah, every city needs more places like that. Um, and also every city, we've something that you've brought up here, more national events to happen in Sheffield instead of London. Yeah. How sh- how do we do it as a city? Like, how do we... Because it doesn't make sense to me. I, I've spent the past 10 years in living in London. And mm. obviously, London's great for many things, but nothing would make me go back there now, mm. having lived back in Sheffield for two years. But, you know, we're right in the centre of the UK. Mm-hmm. We've got the beautiful Peak District. We've got so much diverse and eclectic creative talent. And yet... We, we're usually going either to Manchester or Leeds mm-hmm. or London mm-hmm. or Newcastle or... Wh- what, what, sh- what do we do to say, no, everyone, come here? Um, you know, I, I think we just keep doing what we're doing and maybe shout about it a bit more because, um, as you say, there, the, the, it's a city with so much going for it. And there's, I think things are changing. So, I do too. Um, there's a, there's, a, there's yeah. a buzz, isn't there? There is a buzz. And there's also, like, um, I know that, that um, there's been quite a lot of BBC programmes that have been recorded in Sheffield recently. People have come there. And just the more you start... This is a very small thing, but um, if I do anything for the radio now, I mean, actually, it's mainly a practical consideration because I can't leave my baby that that easily or often but um if I'm asked to go and do something for radio I always ask if I can record it from BBC Sheffield via a sort of link and they're, they're pretty willing to do that so I think that sense that you can put where you live on the map is definitely but I mean still even in the poetry world there I, I remember um interviewing for a job with a poetry magazine and my idea I didn't really have many ideas um, <laughs> I don't think but um one of my ideas was to was to take more of the events outside London and sort of tour around and there wasn't that much enthusiasm for it I remember at the time and um so yeah I think I think it's things are changing but it's 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 slow I mean, you see what's happened with Dockfest and know, the, the takeover of the, we the city that We need more of that, happens. don't we? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's, it's coming. We're working on it here as well. Yeah, well, of course. Doing, I think trying. Having things like this space and having yeah. curious arts here and having commune sort of upstairs, it's, that's part of the, the shift, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. And Kellam, obviously Kellam Island's had a bit of an impact. Yeah. Voted. Isn't it like the trendiest place to live in the whole of the UK or something? Really? Yeah. That's pretty amazing. Big, big tick for us. Very big tick. Um, right. It, I just want to ask, if people want to find out more about you and your work or if they want to be mentored by you or just find out anything, where do they go? 
Um, they could go to my website. website. I've got a website which is www.helenmort.com, imaginatively named. Well, it, uh, yeah, it's clear. It's succinct. It does, does what the it job. says. Yeah, <laughs> um, I also use Twitter, which is just at Helen Mort, and Instagram, uh, Morty but nice. Oh, um, smashing! <laughs> which is a really silly name. It's absolutely lovely. <laughs> um, but also, yeah, I, I'm, I work for Manchester Metropolitan University, so you can find me on their staff pages, and yeah. I'm Brilliant. usually quite friendly. <laughs> I can I can second that. <laughs> I'm quite friendly if I've had my coffee in the morning. Yeah, maybe yeah. before that less less, less so. Less so, but um but yeah. Brilliant. Thank you so much for talking to me. Oh, thank you. It's, it's been really been great. Yeah. Thanks. A curious arts production.